0: Hello, and welcome to our third podcast streaming from the Southwark Playhouse Theatre and following Visible's production of Rondeley. I am Claire French, and I hope to give you a little chance to listen to a post-show discussion between two artists who, like many around the world in the last century, were drawn to Arthur Schnitzler's play *Reigen* for reasons perhaps including its structure, mastery and provocation. I would like to introduce Mike Alfreds, director, dramatist and playwright and founder of Shared Experience, who has in his 50-year career translated and directed three productions of Reigen or La Ronde. He will open a conversation with writer of *Roundelay*, Sonya Linden, to shed light on the reasons for which she was drawn to Schnitzer's play, as well as more general thematic and aesthetic connections between Reigen and *Roundelay*. My
1: first question to you is, um, which came first? Did you read about people's love lives in their later years, or did you sort of come across La Ronde and think, oh, that would be a wonderful vehicle for me?
2: I think, actually, the ideas came almost simultaneously. Really? Um, I knew about La Ronde, of course, it's a classic. I was fascinated by the structure and the, the moving from couple to couple. But also, as a founder of this company, Visible, where I'm trying to challenge stereotypes on older people, particularly in today's world, when we're living much longer lives. And the whole concept of being older has changed radically, I think, for my generation, if you're well and healthy. Um, um, We're living longer um, and more interesting lives. And I thought, um, there's a lot of taboos that have been broken Um, in our society particularly also in my generation but there seems to be a final taboo which is the whole issue about representing or talking about the love lives and the sex lives of older people Um, and I thought the two came together because La Ronde is ostensibly about sex between couples though I think you might have a slightly different take on it But I thought it'd be rather wonderful to tell a number of stories and different aspects of love. That's what I was interested in. So, um, as you've seen perhaps tonight, it's love in many different guises. And then later the idea of the circus came because I actually wrote the scenes and some of them have changed and some of them have gone onto the cutting room floor. Um, And then there were originally going to be ten scenes, a bit like La Ronde, because that's ten scenes. And then I thought well, it's going to take too long because I want to have other aspects to it, so I reduced it to seven. Um, So I don't know if that answers your question fully.
1: Yes, it does. I'm I'm very impressed with the way that you've taken the idea of it, but actually it's very different from the original. And I think it's right when you say it's inspired by, because uh, you're going into sort of much broader areas of people's existence. You know, it's wonderful having a daughter Yes. at the end, which I think was really nice, you know, Yes. the problem. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> yes, I thought
2: love... Yeah. Yes, I think, in, as we've discussed before when we've talked about it, it's not an adaptation, it's more of an inspiration um, because I've completely created different characters. And I think in La Ronde, which I think you might talk about yeah. later... There, it, it, it's very different, and the, and the take on it is very different too. And in a way, with La Ronde, it looks like stock characters almost, doesn't it? It's well, the, well, yes and, and no. And, and, we and can love go, across. We can go into that. We <laughs> can go into that. Okay, um, but um, yes, I mean, I completely invented the stories, and I started off with thinking, well, what are the themes that I would like to explore? And I did want to explore love across an age divide, and even though in that scene there is, there is a sexual element which actually was quite ambiguous in the script it's slightly less ambiguous in the way it's been directed and portrayed here but I thought that was rather beautiful that you can actually love somebody without necessarily having a sexual relationship across a large age divide and in that I was partly inspired by a rather wonderful book by a French psychotherapist called Marie de Henezel. And she's written a book which in translation means the warmth of your heart prevents your body from rusting. I kind of recommend it to people of my age group. And she looks a lot at love. And she's interviewed lots and lots of people in their 70s and 80s and talked about the different types of love they have. One of them was about... Uh, was, was about sexual love but not all of them were that. and that kind of inspired me she talked about a particular couple I think where there was a young man who lived opposite a, a very fascinating much older woman and how much they both got from the relationship she was a very sophisticated woman very cultivated and he sort of looked up to her and they did love each other um, so there were lots of themes that I sort of jotted down as I was preparing this and some themes got lost along the way um, and i thought I thought the theme about um, loving an adult child and the threat to that love when the new person comes into your parents' life and i, I like the idea of the harmony of bringing that back to the beginning and um, there was another there's another one that went on as cutting room 4. lots of people might have long monogamous relationships or marriages, and then inevitably somebody dies and do you pick it up again? And what happens, one of the scenes I wrote that I didn't bring into the play was when uh, a couple meet for the first time having only had a sexual relationship with one person in their entire life, and after 40 years, they meet somebody new, possibly on Tinder, And it was a rather touching and funny scene about the first time they actually have sex and how difficult that is with a new partner and how they have to sort of learn to accommodate each other. And it was rather sweet, charming, but some things have to go and I had to make choices. So I had themes that I did actually want to pursue and they sort of came out in these different scenes.
1: Yes, but it's much, in a way it's much more varied than the original because of that. Yes. And also it's more sympathetic towards the character. Yes. I don't know how many people know, uh, the man who wrote the original, uh, Reigen, Laron, the man called Arthur Schnitzler, he was born in Vienna in the sort of 1860s and died in 1931, and he actually is a wonderful writer, he wrote a lot of short stories. He's very similar to Chekhov in his sort of observation of people, he was also a doctor which is extraordinary, and um, he's very penetrating in his look at people. He wrote a lot of one-act plays, full-length plays, novels, and short stories. And originally, when he wrote La Ronde, it's a series of uh, ten scenes with uh, ten couples that just pass around, meeting very much, you know the one passing on to the other, and he goes through the entire society, he starts with a prostitute and a soldier and a housemaid and the young son of the house and the married woman and a husband and the husband and a little girl who works in the shop and the poet and an actress and the count and the whore, and it it goes around in a circle. And he's saying something very different and much darker, um, saying uh, that actually None of these people express love, and they don 't even enjoy the sex. The sex is used as a substitute for power for status uh, for, to avoid loneliness and so forth every scene that the sex is exploited um, and uh, not even really in, enjoyed uh, The characters are called you know the, uh, the wife the husband but they 're not stereotypes; they represent certain classes of people but they're also very well individualized, and his writing's very witty, it's got a lot of subtext, and it's a very clever piece. When he wrote it, he never thought it would be performed, and he just had about 200 copies published for Friends and uh, I think he wrote in 1887, and then in about 1903, I think, in Munich, they they did three scenes, which was a big scandal, and they were immediately taken off. And it wasn't then performed until, I think, in Hungary in about 1917, and then there was a production in Vienna in 1921, and that was a big scandal, and the theater was closed, and it was done in Berlin, and the same thing happened. And uh, Schnitzler was Jewish, and a lot of people used the production for sort of anti-Semitic protests, and it was taken off, and he was so uh, disillusioned about this that he he actually didn't allow the play to be performed uh, until it went into public domain, and his son carried on with this. So, um, and there was some exception, the French somehow had got some rights to it, and there was a very, very famous movie in the 1950s by a wonderful uh, French director called Max Ophüls, which had a very, very, very starry cast, uh, Jean Libero and um, Simon Signoret and Daniel Derrière, it was very famous. And um, so it's had quite a history and it's been exploited quite a lot. A lot of people have used it. And what I loved about you, you didn't exploit it, you, t- you actually took the idea for other things. Because a lot of, there have been a lot of versions of it and they, they constantly concentrate on exploiting this sort of sex for the very sort of the, the crudest reasons and most productions I've ever seen of it, they're very crude, you know, and all the wit, the subtlety and the observation. He met Freud, they were, they were contemporaries, and he met Freud in 1920, and Freud said, oh, you're, you're like my other self, you're my doppelganger, because we're both dealing with the same things, we're dealing with the unconscious, and we're dealing with themes of, you know, the m- motives of, of, of um, sex and death, <laughs> because the whole of La Ronde, per- as yours is actually, permeated with the sense of, uh, of, of mortality. So it's a very interesting piece and I, and I do admire what you've uh, achieved with it very, very much. No, Thank I think you. it's excellent. Thank really. you. Really, really interesting.
2: Do we want to open it for questions? Yes, uh, yes absolutely. If anybody, oh, that's your job. <laughs> Um, I was just wondering, when did you decide to use the circus as a, a framing device, and, and what inspired that? Um, well, I wrote I wrote the scenes first, and I I found it not satisfying. I, I wanted to create a sort of harmony, and then I started thinking about all the the metaphors, the circle metaphors, and that led me to circus and then the ringmistress sort of entered my mind and i wrote i think claire who's introduced us i think i remember i sent you this this speech that i her first speech and i mean i so enjoyed actually writing her role that i got a bit carried away but um so that was the idea and i th- i just thought it brought the whole thing together i don't know what other people might think whether they you know it, it brought the whole thing together and also because la ronde uh, originally, or which was the original title, actually means a dance, a round dance. And actually, I think also the dance macabre, which is the dance of death, actually, so this theme of, of dance is there. Um, I thought it would lend itself very beautifully to having a lot of dance and movement and the idea of the changing partners. That was my original idea, that I thought between each scene, you would have a round dance, and then you would you would end up in front of the next partner for the next scene. But actually, it, it, it it went a bit further than that, and I tried to make these linking these I call them intermezzi, the intermezzo between each that they would have a sort of linking theme, taking you from one from one scene to the other, and that was beautifully explored as some of our actors here know, because we did a lot of work on the intermezzi, which I indicated you know in my script, but they were you know developed with our wonderful movement director and our director and with our wonderful actors, um, so we did a lot of very careful thinking and planning and movement and uh, to create these intermets and in develop them further. And of course, I loved the idea of having younger people in the story because I thought intergenerationality was very important and and was uh, became a theme actually in one of the stories certainly. And so we had. I thought it would be quite exciting to have an aerial artist to bring out the the circus theme, and creates beauty as well. And also, I love particularly that intermezzo between the young and the older character. I thought that's very been very beautifully done, and that was created in our rehearsal period. Does that answer your question sufficiently? Okay. So. <coughs> I was wondering, um, and in addition to the book you've mentioned, um, did you also kind of find inspiration in talking to the ensemble about the um, specific topics you mentioned because obviously they have a lot of experience. Uh, Well actually the rehearsals were rather wonderful I have to say because I thought I will always write about love and sex because it's such fun in the rehearsals at the early stage everybody was sharing their stories you know actors are very generous we had a, we had enormous fun and, and the enjoyment it was very joyous it was lovely to be sharing things about love people were very generous they told their stories and obviously to to get into these characters um you do need to to give of yourself and to share the stories and what was that also rather wonderful because there are lots of quite intimate scenes which is relatively unusual for, for an older, a cast of older, older characters. We did a lot of movement, didn't we, with our movement director on becoming intimate. I remember those wonderful things where you had to sort of sidle up to each other and do all sorts of sort of very sort of intimate things just to get, to get close, because you had to get very close to be able to, to do these sort of performances. But it wasn't an ensemble work in the same way as the first show that Sophie... Um, you were involved in and helped us with at a later stage because the first show that we did as a company, and we have one of our actors here who was in that show, I created, or we created together as an ensemble over two years. We took a theme of, we looked into the lives of the actors in the room. There were ten actors from ten different cultural backgrounds, which was fascinating, and I thought it would be really interesting to explore whether they had their own stories to give, as they'd all lived long and interesting lives. And what we discovered in that room is that we had one actress who was from Poland who'd been escaped from the Warsaw Ghetto as a child. Well, that was a remarkable story. And then we discovered that we had a Japanese actor whose father had been in Nagasaki when the bomb was dropped. That was a pretty huge story. And then we had another actor whose father was Austrian, and his father had been an officer in the First World War and had been captured and was in Siberia, captured by the Russians when the revolution broke out. And so it went on. We had Annie Furbank, who's not here, but she played uh, the older woman, as you saw, in bed twice, (laughs) having sex twice on stage at her age, which was rather marvellous. She... um, she was brought up in india under the raj and we had a wonderful scene of her playing herself at the age of 9 um talking about all the servants and and creating conjuring up a whole world while at the same time her her fellow actress who was another senior actress who was playing herself in the Warsaw Ghetto, so we had these amazing contrasts. I'm sorry I'm drifting off from the subject of this play, but I just wanted to say that what we did over those two years, we really worked as an ensemble, gathered these stories, and because we had our first show in 2014, it was the anniversary of the First World War, we did a hundred years of history through the personal stories of the company, and that was really working as an ensemble. Whereas this time I thought, oh, I'm a writer, I want to write a play, I want to write a play without, on my own. Um, and, and so in a way we did, an, we did a lot of ensemble work in rehearsal, but actually I brought a, we brought a script to the ensemble, and of course there were changes, but it wasn't quite the same experience as before. Um, I was just wondering uh, if you could explain a bit more about the research that went into coming up with the stories in this play. You mean in the stories that I created? Yeah. Not a lot, I have to say, <laughs> because I invented them, so um, I, I mean so I'm afraid I didn't. I didn't research them. I just created them, so that's not a very satisfying answer, but it's the truth. Actually, what is really interesting in in the show, I mean, this is about the sixth or seventh performance, we're still still quite early in the run, is that we've had quite a lot of young people in to see the show. And one of my ambitions in leading this, creating this company, is to communicate not just to people of my generation who are sort of natural audience for us, but also to attract younger people to see the work, which is partly one of the reasons I thought it would be really nice to have at least two younger people in the show because I want to challenge their their perspective of what it's like to be older and maybe to inspire them and say all is not lost. There is, you know, there is still love and life, you know, at at, at the ripe old age that we are at that we, we, we and some of our performers are at now. So and it's been really lovely because they've they've you know, found it quite thrilling when a woman in her 80s says fuck, for example. I mean, I remember in the first show when we had the same actress, she was, we got to a scene in the 60s because in the first show, sorry, I'm talking about the other show now again, but in that first show, we went through, we went through a hundred years and we, we did it decade by decade. And we've got to the 60s, as you remember. John, uh, who was at Woodstock and told that story. Um, we had all the actors remembering their lives in the 60s, and the younger people in the audience absolutely loved that, because they were all talking about their drug habits, which was a bit of a shock, you know, with people in their, in their 60s and 70s and 80s. So that was a lovely scene, and we had one of our... If you remember, we had Trevor, who was, one, who was um, our actor, who was a wonderful musician, and he sang from Aquarius, and that was really nice. So, I think, again, with this particular show it's very nice to have a mixed audience and to sort of inspire younger people not to be frightened of getting older. Because a lot of the things that we read about or what we hear about in terms of age, it's usually about decrepitude. It's usually about... I mean, there's not, I, I accept the fact that things go wrong when you're older and life can get tough and you can be lonely or you can be ill, but I think it's also important to present a more positive side of the whole issue about ageing.
0: Hi, could you just tell us a bit about the process of the rehearsal and the role of the writer in the rehearsal when it's a new play and there's a director there as well, and how you work with the director and how that transports itself to, to what we've seen tonight?
2: Yes, of course. I mean, we have a longer rehearsal period, which is one of the ambitions of the company. So we work for six weeks, Um, which is a rare... For people who are not in theatre, it's a rare luxury. And a lot of the actors said, Oh, six weeks, you know, what a treat. But it's important because, you first of all, it's important generally to have a long rehearsal period so that you can really dig into the... Get under the get under the scenes and explore the, explore the scenes with a greater depth, particularly with a new work that's never been done before, so that you can actually really explore and, and dig around and, 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 and sort of have discussions with the actors and with the director as to what, these, you know, what the subtext is, what, you know, explore the characters, explore their motivations. So we had six, but also six weeks, because we, a lot of the actors are older and I'm thinking about energy... And so we would have a much shorter day, we would stop at four o'clock, and we did stop at four o'clock every day. And it was very physical, and that was very challenging, and I knew that would be challenging for for older actors in particular. So there's another reason to stop at four o'clock, but what we did in this particular rehearsal period, um, I'll talk about my collaboration in a minute. We, because there's a lot of physicality in the show, every morning we did physical work, quite challenging, and Pat might might need to bring you in here in a minute. Um, Quite a lot of physical work. I mean, great joy and fun to be learning dances, but a lot of physical work to sort of prepare them for the sort of physicality of doing a show like this every night and sometimes twice, two performances a day. And in the afternoon, we did scene by scene. And I was there for the first... We had a six... So I was there most of the time for the first five weeks... And then I had to let go because I've got things to do behind the scenes, you know, as I'm partly producing this show as well. Um, And that was very nice. I was there and I would watch and I would observe mostly, but then I would make the odd suggestion. Um, Or we would change things and say, that doesn't really work. Let's try. I mean, the last scene, I think I wrote it seven times. You know, because that's what happens. I mean, it wasn't changed entirely, but it was changed. And also the epilogue. I didn't write the epilogue. I wrote the epilogue before... The very last scene is very short now, but I wrote a much longer... You know, that sort of... We have an ending, and there's a sort of double ending, when she said, well, that's it, you know. and um, That evolved over the time. Um, anything I've forgotten about the rehearsal period? No? That, that was it? Thank you? Um... So yes, I'm there, and I'm—I I'm, wouldn't sort of um, presume to direct at all, or to address—even to address the actors, particularly. I mean, the, the, the etiquette is it not, is that if you have a writer in the room, and the writer has something to say, the writer will say it to the director, you know, privately, um, uh, <laughs> <laughs> and then it's, it it's mediated it through the director. <laughs> <laughs> What do you have to say I said on that? It
1: depends on you know, the relationship and on what you've you agreed on. I mean, the community yes. structure. Yeah, that's you true. Know, but, but that's, uh, that's,
2: that's, that's generally the, ch- the structure that I've observed. And it was an excellent collaboration. It was a really good collaboration, and I, and I enjoyed it. Um, that's my answer. Okay. <laughs> I think it's fascinating that you're working with older actors and I'm just wondering what your future plans? Keep going. Um, <laughs> writing? Um, um, all my energies have been taken up in producing this show and, and really writing this show. I do have a few things in mind, not ready to declare them yet, but um, <laughs> yes, absolutely, just to keep going as long as I can. Um and to constantly come up with new themes, which is not difficult. I mean, in a, a previous company that I, that I ran, it was very thematic. It was called Ice and Fire, that company still goes. And I was very much writing through my own experience of working with asylum seekers and refugees and hearing their stories and having a sense and helping them write their stories. And seeing their disappointment that they couldn't get that writing into the public domain. No... No publisher was interested. I felt, well, okay, let's try and get them onto the stage. And that's what I did for about 10 years. And then I got to the stage where, you know, the weight of these dark stories, you know, had taken its toll and it was ready for me to do something different. And what's lovely about um, Visible is that you can tell any story because they all pertain for older people, so that's exciting. There is no particular subject matter. There's just I want to tell stories that involve and represent uh, older, pe- older people on stage.
0: I think that's all, all the time we have the questions, but I might like to ask one question. If you were to do a show together,
2: what might you do? Oh, <laughs> oh. How can we answer that one? (laughs) Um. (laughs) We have to get into a huddle. (laughs) (laughs) Absolutely.
0: (laughs) (laughs) And it's a wrap. That was Sonia Linden and Mike Alfreds in a conversation about adaptations of Schnitzler's *Reigen* in response to *Roundelay*. *Roundelay* runs from the 23rd of February to the 18th of March at the Southwark Playhouse in London. Tickets are available from the Southwark Playhouse website and that brings us to the end of this Visible podcast. We hope that you've gained some fresh perspectives on what life, love and death means for those reaching later life as well as a greater sense of how we at Visible are interested in engaging these types of discussions. Please share with anyone you think might also gain from this podcast and I look forward to returning with the next installment very soon.